0: Hey everybody, and welcome to Animates. I'm Paige,
1: and I'm Chris, and it's good to be back with everybody this afternoon, or evening, or morning, or whenever you happen to be watching our newest show or listening.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, we hope everybody is safe and healthy and secure out there. Um, and I would just like everyone to know that Animates officially says Black Lives Matter.
1: Yes, I think that. Is important to explicitly state in in such a world, yeah. In, in such a world man, of if somebody
0: this, listens to this episode in like two years, it's not going to make any sense. <laughs> it's
1: a time capsule. I yeah. I still listen to podcasts that occurred around like the election or whatever, whatever. And people always mention things, and it's such a time. It's such just a look back at people's moods during key world events.
0: Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. Um, but like on that note, uh, we're planning to just bring you our usual in-depth analysis of children's cartoons. Uh, so if you're looking for a little bit of entertainment and to just relax a little bit, uh, we're here to provide that for you.
1: Uh, and in such a spirit, we have a actually a very nice, fun, relaxing, if albeit very weird show. Today it's been a while so As you'll recall we're Speaking today about Regular show which is our first Official entry in our Cartoon Renaissance uh, jaunt Though technically Over the Garden Wall would have been our first But it was It wasn't in the series Explicitly at That time
0: Um, yeah Exactly Um, So Regular Show was a Cartoon Network program that aired from 2010 to 2017 and had a total of eight seasons and over 200 episodes and was created and directed by uh, J.G. Quintel, who we previously met as creative director on Flapjack.
1: I think that this definitely clocks in as being the... Longest show that we've talked about so far.
0: Um, yes, I and, think and b- so too. As like
1: one cohesive show, though they count each each episode as eleven minutes.
0: Yeah, that's something I uh, like. I was talking about with the last episode that Flapjack seems to be one of the last shows where they considered the eleven-minute episodes to be more segments, and an episode was still the thirty-minute chunk. And when you get to regular show, we now count the 11-minute chunks as individual episodes. So there weren't over 200 half-hour episodes. There were over 211-minute episodes.
1: Yeah, so ultimately, because of commercial shows, half-hour shows end up being approximately 22 minutes. And... Mm -hmm. So that means just cut the number in two to compare it to uh, another show. So that would have been 130, give or take. There was a, There were a couple of 30-minute long specials or episodes that they did periodically. So still, even if you cut it in half, 130 episodes is a lot. That's more than. It's still longer
0: than any other show that we've covered. Yeah. I think the next longest show we covered was uh, Animaniacs. And that had, I think, 99 episodes.
1: Which, oh, (laughs) looking back, I'm just like, oh.
0: Yeah, I only watched like five episodes of Animaniacs because I just couldn't deal.
1: (laughs) It was it was very hard. But this is much easier to deal with.
0: Yeah, the, like regular show, it goes down so easy. It's such a good show and there's a lot in it, but it goes down really, really easy. So
1: uh, Quintel was born in 82, which you should note because he was, he belonged to the fir- he belonged to the first millennials.
0: Yes. And I yes. think that's important. I think that is too. I think that... Pretty much like the vast majority of the creators and showrunners of uh, the Renaissance were millennials, Um, usually older millennials, but uh, millennials for sure. Um, And in fact, J.G. Quintel is sort of like a like a wunderkind kind of person because he worked as creative director on Flapjack while he was still in school. He was still a CalArts student when he was creative director on that show and that's kind of why he was able to create and be showrunner on a show as big as regular show at such a young age because that means he was he was 27 when he uh like started doing regular show and that's that's so young to be doing something like that
1: you can definitely tell, though, in the aesthetics that are often portrayed in the show, like it has this really big pen- penchant for like late 80s, mid to late 80s, early 90s style in yeah, particular. like pop cultural
0: artifacts like a lot of a lot of 80s music gets used a lot of like arcade stuff they like to talk about laser discs they use vhs all the time so they they it's like in the modern world they still have like smartphones but they just kind of have decided like lots of people still use vhs like that's a thing that people still do you know like and bring in these sort of pop cultural artifacts from the 80s and 90s
1: um so the the show has a great amount of creative talent in terms of I mean there's good pretty good directing throughout but we're talking like music voices they they really do an excellent job because they employ like just like a lot of really good talent too um, this is not the first time that we see the likes of Mark Hamill uh, in cartoons we've talked yeah. about him before we'll talk about him again Mark Hamill is great for comedy in particular. Just as a side note, if you haven't watched What We Do in the Shadows, um, Hamill has a has a has a part on that show. It's small oh, wow. and it's only one episode, but it's fucking hilarious. Um, I really like the idea of Mark Hamill being a comedy person, and I think you know because that breaks against his classic star wars aesthetic i guess
0: for sure and like he's such a prolific and talented voice actor like to most people mark hamill is just like oh the guy who was in star wars and didn't really do much else but to people who love animation he's a legend you know and i can imagine being like hey dad come into my come into the room real quick see that uh that yeti that voice that's luke skywalker and, like, I feel like he wouldn't believe me, you know?
1: Um, but uh, he's uh, he's not the only one. So let's go down the list in terms of um, technical people. So directors, writers, composers.
0: Sure. Um, so J.G. Quintel was... Um, directed a lot of this stuff in addition to being a showrunner uh and also he continued to write and storyboard episodes on this show and uh also a lot of it was directed by mike roth who was a creative director throughout the series and starting in season two uh quintel brought on his former co-worker from flapjack john infantino as a creative director as well
1: Um uh- as far as uh, music goes, we actually see a name that we are familiar with um, in the past, which is a man by the name of Mark Mother's Bow. Uh,
0: he was a founding member of the 80s uh, Electronica, I guess you'd say, band Devo and the composer for Rugrats so you know, it's going to be the 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 music is going to be a little bit weird, a little bit electronic, and it fits the mood of the show really well.
1: See, that makes me think that Quintel was really interested in him as a composer because of the association with the eighties.
0: That's entirely possible. Yeah. I don't know if that's um,
1: true. That's mere I mean, they do like sort
0: of like they do a Devo bit in an episode in a late season that I noticed they're like doing like a music video, and there's a bit where I'm like, "Oh, that's a Devo reference," and that's when I when I learned that Mother's Bow was the composer. That became even funnier to me because it's not just a Devo reference; it's like an inside joke, basically.
1: <laughs> Which there are a lot of, by the way, in this show. Yeah, um, definitely. So uh, there were other composers that worked on the show, specifically a guy by the name of John Enroth and another one named Albert Fox. So it wasn't just Mother's Bow, but...
0: Yeah, but he's the most notable name.
1: Um. So as far as voice and cast go, it... it I wouldn't call... I mean, it's an ensemble show, for sure.
0: In yeah, the sense I would that say you, like...
1: You very rarely get episodes with just the titular main characters. you you get usually there are other people in the mix all the time. So yeah, it's important to understand who the cast are. And at first, the show is portrayed as being like very slapsticky in the sense that a lot of wacky crit, like it's very events driven or like bit driven but the characters are very well developed, which I think they could do because they worked for so long. I think if it had been a short show, the characters would have kind of gotten less attention in terms of like changing and growing and doing different things while still maintaining the fucking crazy shit that goes on in the background.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, For, like, in terms of the voice talent on this show, uh, just to note it really quick, so Quintel himself uh, voices Mordecai, one of the two main, main characters, uh, and then Rigby, the other main, main character, is voiced by... Oh, just one second, I've lost it. Uh, Hang on. Jeez.
1: So why that's found... It, it should be noted for those of you who are unfamiliar with the show, which if you are, you should go watch it before you listen. Um, Mordecai is a blue jay, an anthropomorphic blue jay. And Rigby is a anthropomorphic raccoon.
0: Yes. And he is voiced by William Solyers. Uh And then we've got our other major characters in the park. So we've got uh, Skips, who is a yeti. Also, pretty anthropomorphic, and he is voiced by Mark Hamill. And then we have uh, Benson, the short tempered boss who is an anthropomorphic gumball machine, Pops, a kind of crazy old man who has a giant lollipop shaped head, and Muscle Man, a green, seemingly douchey guy, all of whom are voiced by Sam Marin, who went to CalArts with uh, Quintel. Uh, And then there's High Five Ghost, who's also voiced by Quintel, and um, then some characters who get a little bit bigger as the show goes on. Uh, Margaret, a uh, cardinal, I think is what she is, a cardinal, voiced by um, Minty Lewis. I guess Minty Lewis voiced them both. I'm having a hard time figuring that out, but... Uh, there's another woman, Eileen, who's a beaver, I think. And she's definitely voiced by Minty Lewis. Um, it seems to be indicating that Margaret and Eileen were both voiced by her, but I'm not sure.
1: Um, at it, it should be stated in the early bits. Um, it very much feels like Eileen and, um, oh my gosh. Margaret. Margaret. Brain fart. Holy cow. Um, Whose voice
0: actor is Janie Haddad, by the way.
1: There we go. They very much just seem like the female mirror of Mordecai and Rigby, like you know, one is a tall bird, the other is a small mammal Mm
0: -hmm.
1: sort of deal. But they, they very much are become their own people throughout. For sure, I
0: would say that in season one. Uh, Margaret and especially Eileen are pretty flat and not very developed at all, but that changes drastically throughout the series, and Eileen especially becomes very developed.
1: So, um, there are some characters that show up a couple of times, but um, a lot of side characters are voiced by the main voice cast.
0: Yeah, they get so much like mileage out of Sam Marin. He does so many voices for the show. Uh,
1: The premise of the show is pretty simple in, in concept. Basically um, pops his family owns a park. And so uh, all of the other characters in the main cast are workers in the park. Benson is the manager. um, Skips is the handyman. And Man, High Five Ghost, Rigby, and Mordecai are, are just, like, groundskeepers. So they just mm-hmm. do anything that needs done in the park. And that's, that's
0: theoretically it. Yeah, it's everyone except for Benson actually lives at the park itself. And basically, the formula, which they start to deviate from more and more as the show goes on, but the formula is... Mordecai and Rigby are slacking off or want (laughs) to do something that they're not supposed to do. Um, They do it. It gets way out of hand and something crazy and likely supernatural happens and they have to fix it often with the help of skips in particular, but also their other coworkers at the park.
1: Yeah. And it feels at the beginning, it feels very much like, oh, this is just going to be like, um, it's. Okay, so it calls to me, as other media has before, it's got this very common setup, like these two young, early 20s males. I, I see this mostly with men, but I mean, I've sort of seen it more with things like, um, I've seen this with women more, I, I think like Amy Schumer... Um, that show with those girls in New
0: York. Broad City.
1: Broad City. Like, I see this more now and since probably after, like, 2009, where before that it was pretty much the providence of, like, two young slack-off men. We're, yeah. were 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 trying to find new and epic ways to slack off. Like, it almost feels like it, it's, like, I'm reminded of that 70s show sometimes. And, and feeling yeah, kind of um so
0: like it shares a kinship with workaholics in a way that,
1: yes yeah it feels very workaholics um
0: yeah and like in its early episodes it's just it really is just like sort of a pitch perfect depiction of early 20s millennial slacker culture
1: yeah i that I feel very... I always felt very one with, like, this idea of... Because I had friends who were kind of like this, too. Um, mm-hmm. Or have had them in my life. But... When... When you say it gets out of hand... I, it... <laughs> it really is... Um, like, it's... Absurd acceleration. It is, like... I, I, I'm trying to find a name for the aesthetic. But any conflict experiences an absurd acceleration into more often than not a cosmic or philosophical battle between like giant forces that threaten to literally destroy the park
0: or yeah, like kill everyone For example, everyone in, in the very first episode, the like Mordecai and Rigby disrupt skips while he's performing some kind of weird dance and, And this, like, David Bowie man comes down in a, like, El Camino from the sky and, like, takes Skips and they hitch a ride. And it turns out Skips is immortal and has to do this dance to keep his immortality. And they end up in a fight with these, like, giant baby timekeepers to, like, save Skips from disintegrating into dust.
1: Yeah, there's... uh there, oh wait, no,
0: that's not the first episode. But whatever. <laughs> the first episode um, is the power where they have the synth.
1: Yeah, there's a, so the first episode they get essentially a, a a magical synthesizer that allows them to wish for things, and, and and it naturally belongs to a wizard, and you know they wish for things and then they end up on the moon. And they have to get back. <laughs> it really... You really... It's really a very... Un- it's it's predictable in that you always know that it'll go too far. That even deceptively simple setups, like we need to hang up wallpaper, will <laughs> we'll end up with them with a the park or them in mortal danger.
0: Yeah, exactly. Also, I'd just like to say... It's a really fucking great first episode. Like when they when everybody else goes into the house to get something, and Rigby's sitting in the, the golf cart just playing the synthesizer, which is called the power, and sending tons of things to the moon and like singing a little song. Like when he's like betting machine that doesn't work. Send to the moon. <laughs> like that's just like stuck in my head all the time.
1: Um so a little bit more of about the characters, because despite the fact that the 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 set, the bit, essentially does a lot of the work, um, the characters still matter, and they do change over time. So, Mordecai and Rigby are fairly similar in that they like to slack off, they feel very directionless, sort of... Um, I mean, Rigby sleeps in a fucking pile of clothes on a trampoline, so... <laughs> That sort of tells you where he's at. Mordecai is, he's like really, they're both obsessed with coolness, with things seeming cool. Um, Mordecai is the more responsible one of the two in that he will occasionally sometimes be able to delay gratification and say, we should clean the park so we just get it done. Um, that being said, there are other episodes where he fucking, he slacks off just as much as Rigby. Yeah. So. It's sort
0: of like Rigby, especially earlier in the series, is just sort of this unrestrained id most of the time. Yes. Um, and we later learn, you know, we, we come to learn that a lot of that is like driven by like insecurity and like a fear of failure and that like, you can't fail if you don't try, you know, whereas because like he's a high school dropout. And Mordecai is a college dropout, and he, like, see, it seems more like his desire for, like, slacking is driven by, um, like, having already failed and, like, a sense of disillusionment and sort of, like, depression.
1: Yeah, I would say that Mordecai tends to have, like, a, Mordecai is sort of a more realistic, I feel like a lot of people who went to college... Look at the world and just being like, well, like rich people and it's the game is rigged and all this other like more critical, I guess, of society, although it doesn't come out in eloquent ways.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Whereas like Rigby is always just like,
0: Yeah, it's just like he's like a little boiling pot of insecurity, just spilling all over everything all the time. <laughs> like, to,
1: and 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 to be fair to Mordecai, Rigby is the one who causes the most problems.
0: Yes, he causes so many problems.
1: And and Rigby's a dick
0: at yeah, the beginning honestly. of the show. Like yeah. he's a, like he, he is a, def- he is mean. Hmm, for sure. Like he's mean to Eileen at the beginning of the show. Like he's not nice to her. You know, and, um, but he grows, I would say that Rigby honestly grows more than any other character through the course of the show.
1: And, like, it's not just him, he's, like, mean to Mordecai when Mordecai is into someone. He's, he's like a jealous boyfriend. <laughs> um, <laughs> almost. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see, so, um, the others, so Pops. Pops is, like, a fop, basically.
0: He's he's a dandy man. He's a dandy man, and he speaks in a hard voice. Ha ha! Um, yeah,
1: used,
0: and he's, like, all weirdly anachronistic.
1: I used to think that he was voiced by Pendleton Ward, but I, I don't know why I thought that, but I, I did. Um, yeah.
0: It's also heavily implied in an early episode that Pops has brain damage.
1: Yes, because he was dropped as a child.
0: It's um, Mordecai and Rigby went back in time, and yeah, and yeah, knocked him over with the golf cart, and he hit his head.
1: And like he was normal before that, like speaking fancy but normal. And then once they tipped him over, he 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 does his signature like.
0: Ha-ha-ha-ha! Mm -hmm. So
1: the implication is that he's a little bit weird because time travel. Um, Yeah, but
0: then there's much later in the series, there's, you know, it's revealed that Pops is literally magic. So you never know.
1: (laughs) Um, Muscle Man is a character that I feel very, like, very conflicted about.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because he's introduced as this, like, giant douchebag or whatever. Um, But then you see, you know, within the first couple of seasons, he's honestly like the most responsible person in the park. Like he's like he trains. He's he's put in supervision of Mordecai and Rigby occasionally to prevent them from slacking off. And he'll be like, dude, Benson's your boss. You have to let him know where you are at all times. (laughs) Like he's like, dude, yeah, we can go get lunch after we finish doing this.
1: Yeah, he feels like. Um, somebody went to drag races in the late 80s or early 90s and took, like, a a dude really into, like, sloppy fitness and put him in this show.
0: Yeah. Because like, he likes he also- to crash
1: things and fight things and is like, <laughs> And, like, takes his shirt off and just, like, fucking swings it around and is very okay with his body, which is nice, and, yeah. and and is just, like, really... He likes to go ham.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, like, his friendship with High Five Ghost is actually, like, very tender, you know, And his relationship with his girlfriend and later wife, Starla, as much as it's, like, played for laughs, because they're both kind of gross, is also, like, a very sweet relationship.
1: Um... I don't have as much... I don't really have a lot to say about High Five Ghost.
0: He doesn't do as much. He becomes... Like, they develop him more and more as the show goes on. But they spent a long time without developing. And it eventually got to the point where, like... They didn't have as much time. But we do see a lot of stuff. That, like, he's, like, a musician. And, like, likes art and stuff like that, too. But he also likes hanging out with his best bro, Muscle Man. And, like, smashing shit, you know?
1: Uh, Let's see here. Benson... Um, so Benson is classic. He's supposed to be classic angry boss, Mm -hmm. like classic, um, boss that everybody is like, like is very into rules and order. And it feels like he's on a power trip, uh, at the beginning. It feels like he's, he's like, he gets angry a lot, anger management issues. Uh, He literally turns red. All the time. Uh, but Benson gets quite a bit of development. Throughout the series. And you started I don't know. I sort of start to understand. He still has terrible anger issues. But, oh yeah. Um,
0: but you, those also... Like like men, like a lot of characters on this show. Struggle with like very real insecurities. And those insecurities are what drive. The ways in which they act out. And it's the same for Benson.
1: Yeah. Because he gets some sweet moments. And uh, Mordecai and Rigby start pretty much always chafing under him but eventually they sort of like do in their own very incompetent way we'll do try to like understand benson and like we'll do nice things for him or we'll find out his job is actually pretty hard and like they probably get treated
0: like shit by his boss
1: yeah they take him for granted
0: um one example go ahead the number of times, especially in the first, like, three seasons where I was like, Benson, why don't you just fire them, dude? <laughs> like, they just, you're always threatening to fire them and you never do. They they deserve to be fired.
1: Yeah, but then the show would have to be canceled.
0: That's true. We don't want that.
1: Um, a good example of this is uh, there's a episode where the park holds a pie-eating contest and... <laughs> Usually Benson is the one that judges all the pies and Mordecai and Rigby are like, damn, we want to judge pies. That sounds fun. And lo and behold, they find out that it's not so easy telling your friends that their pie is garbage. Um, And they make a pact with a demon in the shape of a pie. And the demon says, I will make your job easy. And, they, and they're like, no, we should really try and do this the right way. And then Rigby's like, fuck it. And the pie becomes a giant pie that starts eating all the bakers. <laughs> and it's like, well, y- you won't have to judge any pies if there's only one person left. <laughs> and And they have to eat pieces of pie and honestly tell their friends how bad their pie is to remove power from this demonic huge giant pie so <laughs> and they learn wow benson's job is pretty hard yeah, for sure. <laughs> the morals are so small like they're tiny like not in the like they're just like oh appreciate somebody like they're simple but the setup to teach that lesson ...is just completely absurd.
0: Yeah, and it's, like... ...it, like, still contains, like, a level of moral teaching... ...but it's, like... ...it's, like... ...somehow so much more subtle... ...than so many other children's cartoons... ...while, like, having these incredibly over-the-top... ...plot devices... ...to get to those, you know, morals.
1: Uh, Skip... ...Skips... ...is a Yeti... ...which, for the longest time, I believed to be a gorilla...
0: I thought he was a gorilla too, but apparently it's a Yeti. So there you Um,
1: go. Skips is, I I still almost prefer to see him as a gorilla. I don't know why, (laughs) but Skips is voiced by Mark Hamill. He's the, the, the wise shaman, the like, there's a trope for it, but he's the wise man. The one who is controlled, calm, deliberate, knows things responsible and is basically in charge of helping Mordecai and Rigby get to the moral lessons and cleaning up their mess. So he prides himself on being able to clean up messes and he's also immortal and is kind of a sad, kind of a sad. his
0: His backstory is honestly pretty tragic
1: um but skips is awesome you know it's really hard to just like a character like that to be fair but yeah he's do, just
0: super chill and wise you know like what's to not like what's not to like but he
1: also like knows how to have fun and whenever he's like I don't know about this Rigby it, it's always like he's very willing to let them make their own mistakes and then he'll clean up after.
0: Yeah, and like sometimes when other people try and stop them, Skips will just be like, "No, they have to, they have to figure this out themselves," you know.
1: Um, and that's the cast.
0: Unless I mean, unless you want to talk about Margaret and Eileen.
1: Yeah, I guess we was thinking like chronologically, but so at the beginning, that's what we're set with. But then, um, a coffee shop next to the park, uh, where we've got are two characters who are also very millennial, <laughs> very millennial. They're working, going to school, you know. They're Eileen especially feels like a bunch of nerdy girls I've met before.
0: I love Eileen so much. Like she's the first like season or two, incredibly flat. but then she becomes like one of my favorite characters. So she's just like this really, like really brilliant kind of like stem girl. But she's also just like really weird. Like at one point they go camping and she's like, yeah, last year I went through the phase, through a phase where I was getting lost in the woods a lot. Dude, (laughs) that,
1: that moment, I like, I laughed. So I was in an altered state of mind. (laughs) 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 And we, that just evoked just a fucking huge guffaw. Cause it's just, it, it just like, it's so fucking cool. I got lost in the woods a lot. What?
0: Yeah, like, what does that even mean, Eileen? And, and she just has, like, she's one of those people who just has, like, all kinds of cool hobbies and is this, like, really sweet, caring person. Um, like, you know, even though, and she has this huge crush on Rigby, even though she deserves way better. Um, but, and, and she's just like, she, she rarely, like, I guess you could, you could maybe accuse Eileen of being kind of a Mary Sue. Because she's just, like, super smart and interesting and nerdy and, like, helpful and kind.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's sort of hard to talk about Mary Sue's in a show where, like, problems are so weird and... (laughs) Yeah, but but I know what you mean. It's kind of, like, a very flattering self-insert, maybe. I don't know. Um... And then Margaret, uh, for a while there, I like didn't know how to feel about Margaret. To be fair,
0: yeah, because it's like,
1: I, for the first couple she, of seasons, she felt very shallow to me.
0: She did feel very shallow at first, and then after that, like for a while, she's like kind of a tease. Honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm of the opinion that she was very aware that Mordecai was into her, and she act like. Either, like, maybe unintentionally, but it kind of seemed either, like, willful ignorance or intentional teasing.
0: Yeah, like, at a certain point, it's made, like, explicit how much Mordecai likes her. And she, like, you know, like, he sends her the accidental voicemail of him singing a song about how much he likes her. And she, like, kind of just giggles at it and makes it her ringtone for him. But then they, like, don't start dating or kiss at that time. You know, like, it's explicit that Mordecai is super into her and she like leaves little hints, but doesn't like make a move or get together with him, you know, for a long time.
1: Cause she, she has other dudes. Like she dates other dudes and has other dudes interested in her as well. But
0: yeah, she, she also becomes in later seasons, much more fleshed out and interesting. Like she leaves and she leaves, she goes away from the show for like a good season um she goes to college to like she had started at community college and went to finish up her degree and she got she majored in like broadcast journalism and ends up being like a beat reporter for the local news channel and all that kind of stuff and she becomes you meet her family, you see what her relationship with her father is like, you know.
1: Yeah. So there's 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 definitely a lot there um from humble from humble beginnings. We see the characters grow yeah. Mm. So,
0: just also a note about the development of this show specifically. Um, so, Quintel pitched this to this program that uh, Cartoon Network called, had called Cartoon Institute, um, in which they like they had younger artists pitch them like create pilots without giving them any notes, with the expectation that some of them would be optioned to shows. And so that's where this was pitched. There's like this urban legend that regular show was pitched to Adult Swim who didn't pick it up as an adult show, but they passed it to Cartoon Network as a children's program and that the pilot involved uh, the characters um, taking acid. So that's not true. It was never pitched to Adult Swim. And there the pilot like did not involve that. However... There were two student films that Quintel produced while he was still in school that were influences on the show. So there was The Naive Man from Lolly Land, which is a, basically it's the character model for Pops. It's Sam Moore, Sam Marin doing the voice for Pops. And it's a very similar character. Like it's basically uh, an ambassador from a made up place called Lolly Land who like uses lollipops as money and stuff like that. And then there is two in the a.m. p.m., which is this is where the acid trip urban legend co- came from. So this is a student film about two human gas station workers voiced by uh, Quintel and Sam Marin. And Quintel's character gives the, his, his co-worker a piece of chocolate. They both eat chocolate, and it has it's laced with acid, and they trip in the gas station. And when they're tripping some of their hallucinations are the, their body is changing and the character models for uh, Mordecai and Benson appear in that short.
1: Yeah. So, okay. That's like, sure. He didn't pitch it as a, like he didn't pitch it that way to Cartoon Network, but that was still clearly where his head was at.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, like the show is far too surreal to like not prompt any questions about like the use of hallucinogens. Like, it seems pretty clear that that's like something well, just that, that, that 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 he's partaken of, you know.
1: Like that, and just like non-linear storytelling.
0: Yeah, and in the for sense. Sure.
1: Well, okay, not non-linear, but like non-logical.
0: Sure. Sure. That like, makes sense.
1: Disjointed, but disjointed storytelling in a good in a good, effective way.
0: Um, yeah, definitely.
1: So yeah, we've got our characters. We've got our setup. There are some really great um, references inside of the show. I mean, I wouldn't say the show has a plot so much as characters will end up growing and changing and have like little, So this is a this is a trait shared by other shows of this period of time where within each episode, there is a specific story to be told. However, certain episodes will focus on overarching stories and even those that don't will sprinkle in details that sort of like paint a picture. This is the way that Adventure Time builds its entire world. In terms of backstory. Like, there are self-contained stories that connect to each other, but, like, in between hints and references are sprinkled in between. Um, Steven Universe sort of does this, but it's a little bit more explicit about plot. So, this isn't something unique to Adventure Time. Or, sorry, regular show or, you know, whatever show you're talking about.
0: Yeah, something I was thinking about as I watched this show is that I think a hallmark of uh, Renaissance shows is that people can change and continue to have changed and things can happen and continue to have happened. Like in more traditional cartoons, things are... Super, super episodic. So usually nothing that has happened in another episode will ever be referenced in any other episode, and character development that happens in an episode is usually contained specifically to that episode and doesn't carry over to other things. That is not the case in this show. There's clear character development over time, people learn lessons, and like carry those lessons forward and begin to change because of them and that change can become permanent and the things that happen in the show really did happen and always have happened they they remember and reference things that previously happened to them in the show they don't occur in a vacuum it's not as though they never actually happened and time doesn't actually exist in this universe
1: Yeah, and it kind of feels like, in general, we moved away from the idea that cartoons need to be episodic so they can be syndicated, so that they can be watched in any order without issue. Whereas this is like, no, each episode is still its own thing, and the fact that it might reference something else doesn't detract from it.
0: Exactly. Like the episodes where they mention they do kind of like a nudgy joke and like mention all the other times they've destroyed the park or whatever. Um, It doesn't it's not that you can't enjoy the episode anymore or like all of the subsequent episodes where the baby ducks show up. You can still enjoy the episode, even if you didn't see the original baby ducks episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some episodes like where like all of their previous enemies come back. There's an episode where they, like, are pitted against a bunch of, like, troublemakers they've had to fight in the past. Like the Yeah, uni- that's, the like, u-
0: early season four, I want to say.
1: Yeah, the unicorns come back, for example, and it's like, if you don't, if you haven't watched that episode, that one definitely hits. Like, that whole episode hits less if you haven't seen the show up to that point. But it's still funny.
0: Yeah, another thing is that like people die, like people can die and stay dead in this show. And you can say like censorship has now been relaxed to the point where you can say things like kill, die, dead, things like that on the show. It's not all like euphemistic.
1: Thank God.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like when the unicorns show up in that episode, they're like, what? You guys are supposed to be dead because we saw their car explode. Like, like the park employees blew up a car full of unicorns, you know?
1: (laughs) Okay, so just I I feel like I have to tell the story because it's an early show episode, but it's so funny. Um, Mordecai's trying he's in the market and he's trying to get Margaret. And so he's like, man, I need to figure out a way to get her interested in me. And there's a commercial that comes on for cologne or deodorant. I don't remember which. Dude
0: time for men. Dude
1: time for men. <laughs> and it it's basically advertised spray this on you and like women will be all over you. And so Mordecai buys some dude time for men. And it, it smells bad naturally, but it only attracts douchey unicorns. So these, like, bro grunge slash frat unicorns, you know, farting rainbows, shiny horn unicorns, but wearing, like, pointy chokers and ripped up, t- uh, like, tank tops surround mordecai and they're like bro you smell good bro and they they accent everything with bro it's so funny
0: yeah and they're just like hanging around like the name of the episode is the unicorns have got to go and they're just like hanging around, being like douchebags and pulling pranks on everyone. And like basically, everyone at the park dece- decides that needs something needs to be done, and they trick them and murder them. Um, but at one point,
1: <laughs> they do. They 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 push they 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 push them down a hole.
0: Yeah, it, it, and it's like so many comments have been made about this show that it's like not really for kids. That like. They tr- they do not try very hard to make it, like, appropriate for children. Like, there's a lot of adult stuff in it. And in the show is a line that just, like, made me be like, Jesus fucking Christ, I cannot believe that there was not a moral panic over this show. And it's in this episode where the unicorns hand Mordecai a cup of something and tell him to drink it. And he takes a big sip and he does a big spit take and he's like, what the heck is that? And one of the unicorns says, well, it's definitely not unicorn slum. And the only possible interpretation I have of that is that they handed Mordecai a cup of unicorn jizz and made him drink it.
1: I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I immediately messaged Paige and I was like, did you just like you saw this fucking shit, right? That somehow Quintel, because he was on the show writing, directing, everything. Somehow Quintel got a cum joke. Like, because, th- okay, this is like a classic. He got
0: a joke in which a bunch of bros jerked off and came into a solo cup and then gave it to their friend and he drank it into a children's television show.
1: Um, And it... It feels like he's very much making fun of bro culture, which I really appreciate. And yeah. and I hate to say it, that is definitely something that kind of group would do and has done. And there yes, there are names, game, you know? there are names for that kind of activity. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like he was making it up, but putting it in the show is just um, how I, I I have to how? assume I have to assume that the editorial board. Just, like, didn't understand.
0: Because it's like, okay, like, no child under the age of 10 will get that at all. The older a child gets, the more likely they are to get it. And as an adult, there's no other fucking interpretation. They said slum. It rhymes with cum.
1: <laughs> uh, it's it's great. I love it. I, th- I, I thought that was so funny. Gross, like, but... Like,
0: it was disgusting, it was hilarious, and it was completely shocking that they got away with it.
1: Um, so, yes, eventually they, they straight up murder. The unicorns get in a drag car yelling, bro, 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 bro. And then the car explodes at the bottom of a hole and they die. Yeah. So, okay. you know, as you do, they're mean to pops. Okay, so an important point is that a lot of them are willing to tolerate absurdity up to a point that it hurts Pops. Because they take care of Pops. Pops is kind and nice and naive. Uh, except not real. Like, he shows, like, insightfulness. So he's definitely not dumb. He's, he's just, like, a, he's a dandy man.
0: He's eccentric.
1: He's eccentric.
0: Yeah, um, but, like, everyone loves him and feels very protective... Over him as if he were like a child. And like he is like he is naive to an extent. He has a level of naivete that would make most. I You understand why they want to like protect him.
1: Um, so I think what are some important themes, episodes, like if we had to discuss its contribution to either the Renaissance or just cartoons overall, what would they be?
0: So I think that uh, major thing. So this has, it has great animation, um, but I don't think the animation is itself in any way groundbreaking, but the voice acting I think is really interesting because while there are weird and funny voices, it's primarily naturalistic and that's not something that was really common on kids cartoons like ever really <laughs> most of the time like a lot of kids cartoons especially ones where like surreal things happen have these very have very dramatic voice acting style that can actually be very grating to adults and really even some kids. And this does not do that.
1: Yeah, I feel like Quintel was just talking in his normal room voice when he voices Mordecai.
0: He absolutely is.
1: (laughs) He's just talking. Um, Granted, like, he does more than that. It's, like, not completely devoid of skill. But it's certainly not, like... I think Mark Hamill does a lot of work in terms of creativity in particular. Yeah, for
0: sure, for sure. The the gravelly Skip's voice is not, you know, his natural voice, but I would say the only voice that I think it reminds me really of other cartoon voices um, is Pops, he's a little more classic cartoon, and like High Five Ghost has a little bit of a thing, but it's mostly just like, what would a normal person sound like if they were a ghost? <laughs> you know um like most of the voice acting even if the actor is doing a voice is still in a more naturalistic style
1: um i one thing that i really like about the show is that it periodically dips into current culture like current cultural issues or trends so for example I'm reminded of the episode where Mordecai and Rigby want to impress Benson to get him to say that they look cool. So they, they basically adopt like a lot of really current, at the time, stupid fashion trends all overlapping each other, and they literally become too cool for the universe. And they are put on trial by this tribunal that needs to control how cool – somebody is above the earth in a spaceship. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of really funny jokes about fashion and caring about like hipsters in particular in that show, in that episode. And it's really great. Another one is there's actually a fight sort of that the show had with with someone. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, um, there is a guy named Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell is known in speedrun and video game circles particularly because he held some world records, some Guinness world records specifically for our old classic arcade games. Like I think one of them was like Ms. Pac-Man, one of them was Donkey Kong. So he was he was a niche celebrity and he kind of had a reputation and he is known as incredibly litigious and is a loser, like in the sense that he lost a lot of those fights because essentially he didn't like, he, he got accused of cheating and not following like standard rules in some of those cases. For example, I believe there was one instance where he had used an emulator and and instead of like regulation for whatever activity he was doing. I, I don't know if that's quite correct, so please don't quote me on that. But he, it was pretty much well known that he was like a dirty player and aggressive and sort of um, some people suggested like Vainglorious and his litigious behavior seemed to suggest that. Well I don't know who on the writer's board knew of this guy, but they put him in the show. They didn't call him Billy Mitchell. They, they called they, him
0: Garrett Bobby Ferguson. They
1: called him Garrett Bobby Ferguson. And it's he's one of the best villains in the entire show. And essentially, he like he fucks with Rigby because Rigby is like beating an arcade game record. The context is really what tells you who it is. And the fact that Garrett Bobby Ferguson is a giant head. like he's you think, giant bearded face. <laughs> you think that GBF stands for giant bearded face because he's a giant like absurdly large with like arms that come out of his beard is very disconcerting.
0: At first he's First he's floating and then he shoves his arms and legs out of his beard and it's very upsetting.
1: So anybody, you can tell who it is. And and Rigby beats him with the help of the crowd because Garrett Bobby Ferguson pulls some dirty shit just like his inspiration. Billy Mitchell sued the show. (laughs) He litigated against regular show for... Sland like is it slander? like what is it where you libel
0: like okay it's like one is in in like one is in speech and one is in writing and i think s- libel is speech and slander is writing yeah so i'm not sure i think it would be slander
1: Yeah, so he he basically sued them for portraying, like, he said that they were lying and portraying him in a bad light, and, you know, damages, blah, 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 blah. Um, But he lost, because he had no fucking case. And regular show, being the good-humored thing institution that it is, bring Garrett Bobby Ferguson, or some form of him, back later... later in the Many show. Many times. Many also. times.
0: Like, there, there's times where he shows up as an actual character again, but there's also frequently, like, they go, at one point they go back in time and are in like an arcade or a video game store in the past and there's like a Garrett Bobby, Bobby Ferguson appearance poster in the background, you know?
1: So, they they basically, I love what they do, they basically hold up their nose and go, ha <laughs> ha! But it's great, because they they're like they're doing it for a good cause. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I'm sure that like, I'm pretty sure that this show is just like full of them making fun of people that are like very niche and only a few people get like that. It's not just like funny because of the writing. It's also funny because they're making fun of a specific person. Like I'm sure this show is full of that.
1: So that's, that's one thing that I really like is sort of an interaction with contemporary culture.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I love, like, I I just... So eventually, like, Rigby and Eileen get together and start dating, and it's actually, like, a really sweet relationship. Like, Rigby helps Eileen come out of her shell a little bit more and be a little more confident and outgoing, and Eileen helps Rigby, like, get all of his shit together together. And just, like, become a better person and more successful in his life.
1: Yeah, I would say normally that's sort of, like, trite. Because, like, why do women always have to fix the problems of, like, their partners? But they do do things for each other.
0: Yeah, and, and, like, a lot of what Rigby fixes about his life is, like, the way he puts it is that, like, she doesn't do it. He does it because he wants to, like, be better for her. You know, like, he graduates high school because, like, he wants to just be a better person. And it eventually becomes a thing that he's doing just for himself. But it starts out as, like, wanting to be, like, someone who deserves Eileen, right? And I think that, like, overall, the way that, like, relationships in your 20s are portrayed in regular show is, like, really strong and realistic because, like, So we only see Rigby in one relationship and it's with Eileen and it's a relationship where they bring out the best in each other and they like grow and build this strong relationship and it shows at the end that they like stay together they get married and they have kids together and we see Mordecai in a couple of relationships both of which are with like really sweet people and they really like one another a lot but they don't they don't bring out the best in each other in many ways they bring out the worst in each other and they they, do, they don't grow together and they're just relationships that can't work for some reason. Um, and it, we see at the, in the last episode that once he's in like his 30s, he ends up meeting someone that he builds a relationship with and like marries and has kids with. So it shows this like, this thing that like, relationships in your 20s are complicated sometimes you will meet someone that you're going to be with forever in your 20s because they bring out the best in you but most of the time you're just going to have relationships where everyone really means well and they just don't work you know
1: yeah and we see good like good relationship like muscle man we talked about earlier has like a very mm-hmm. strong like passionate relationship with starla who yeah. is who is a muscle woman
0: yeah, and they get like married. Like the plot of them getting engaged and like actually getting married happens during the show and not just in sort of a flash forward the way that Rigby and Mordecai's marriages do. And actually, in the very last episode, we also see that Muscle Man also has a little a little girl, a little muscle daughter.
1: <laughs> muscle daughter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So another thing that this show sort of contributes to this particular area era in cartoons is like a, a premise that is like something that is brought up in the show that is usually in the context of like action or something funny but is profoundly sad when you think about it at all. So I think about it as like hiding profoundly deep or profoundly sad things embedded in an otherwise sort of, like, well-written cartoon. Um, Adventure Time does a lot of that. And Mm -hmm. so does Steven Universe. And so does Gravity Falls. And this does, too. So, like, the easiest thing that comes to mind for me is the fact that, like, Skips is immortal. And he's lost his love. And he's going to live forever. And people are gonna die like it's and he's very aware of that
0: yeah and I think like so in the last season it turns out that Skips is like actually like magical and like it's his destiny to save the universe and the show ends with Skips sacrificing his life to save the universe and save everyone else's lives and it's like really touching and like really sad you know it's like and like weirdly profound like he says some things as he like sacrifices himself that you're like wow this is weirdly profound (laughs) like i wasn't expecting that (laughs) you know and a lot of stuff with pops is like a lot of the stuff with pops is really sad like his dad is really mean to him like there's like a redemption of his dad towards the end of the series but like pops dad thinks that Pops is like useless and doesn't like believe in him or care about anything that Pops cares about and just kind of like shoves him to the side because he's like not good enough or impressive enough oof also Rigby's relationship with his dad is really fucked up too
1: yeah oh yeah for sure mm-hmm. um I, I think that that's another hallmark too is Portraying family relationships that are explicitly troubled. Yes. That's yes. that's a big one. So family and family relationships feature in all of these shows. It's actually like a, a very important point. Like whether we talk about Adventure Time with Finn and his dad or um, this show with different characters and their parents. Um, you know, Gravity Falls. I mean, their parents are dead. No, they're uh, not. Wait, they're not?
0: No, they're just on summer vacation.
1: Oh my God. Okay, so... The whole of
0: Gravity Falls takes place during a summer vacation.
1: I... T- I what am I thinking of then?
0: Any other Disney show ever made.
1: Okay, sorry. That's why That's <laughs> why I'm getting confused. Um, Well, like, Steven Universe, you know, his mom's gone. So, like...
0: Yeah, because, like, basically, in this show, so, like, Margaret has a pretty, like strong and healthy relationship with her parents and so does mordecai um though his mom like embarrasses him sometimes but that's like pretty normal parent-child stuff that they work out but like benson has a really difficult relationship with his parents um pops has a difficult relationship with his dad rigby has a really difficult relationship with his dad like there's a lot there's lots of family relationships and there's lots of different kinds of family relationships
1: I feel like one of the things that separates it from previous iterations is there's no attempt to distract or cover it up with humor. So I'm reminded of like Rugrats or the Proud family where there are clearly tensions in family relationships, but they're always sort of like glossed over with a joke or you move on or it's never really focused on. Whereas we start to see that as not only being shown in sort of its full messiness but it but is it takes center stage at a variety of points
0: yeah like at one point like Rigby's dad essentially yells at Rigby that he's like a stupid useless piece of shit who can't do anything right and like that you know that he Rigby's dad is ashamed of him Rigby and we just kind of like sit in that it's gross yeah it's like the joke is that like Rigby yells back and his dad tells him to go to his room and so Rigby does he runs up and goes to his room even though he doesn't live in his parents house anymore but that's like the only joke that they provide to break the tension of that scene like they just like have his dad say horrible stuff to him and just like he said it you know and he didn't apologize and he didn't feel bad
1: it kind of feels to me like people who are millennials writing more honestly about that kind of stuff compared to like previous generations. I don't know if that's true or not, but I sort of see like a break there. I don't know. Yeah,
0: it's sort of like so the Simpsons was considered really groundbreaking in that it portrayed an a non-idealized American family, like the Simpsons and married with children both. Like they were non-idealized American families that had like tensions and problems. Um and that was like considered really groundbreaking because most American families that had been betrayed portrayed before were like the Brady Bunch or the Cleavers. I'm you know, also in, in the Beaver.
1: I'm also reminded of the Golden Girls, who did a lot of. Co- I can't. I'm always gonna fucking talk about the fucking Golden Girls. Cause that <laughs> shit is amazing. Um, that show actually did a really good job of portraying complex family situations, like yeah, really, definitely. really complex, messy ones.
0: Yeah, um, and it's so it's like that were, was something that really in the 80s was that ground was broken for adult programming that like we can portray in primetime programming families who are not perfect who are troubled whose fit problems can't be solved in the course of a half an hour you know um but i think that that didn't really happen in children's programming until the animation renaissance because it's like you know the episode i'm thinking of where like Rigby's dad yells at him like really bad and he goes to his room that's built up on like a variety of other episodes where Rigby's dad treats him like shit and it's like it's showing that his dad's st- like Rigby's gotten his life together and his dad like still is treating him like shit and like they finally reach like a breaking point in that episode where like his dad is forced to confront like the way that he's been treating his son and like make a choice whether to like burn that bridge or try and be a better person. And he decides to try and be a better person. But like that didn't happen. we didn't like meet Rigby's dad one episode and he's an asshole. And then at the end of the episode, he's not an asshole anymore. Like, no, we met him early in the show. He appeared several times throughout the show and was always an asshole for a long time before a moment of crisis pushed their relationship to like a turning point.
1: It felt earned rather than just like, Oh, we have a problem now we're going to fix it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Um, also something related to that is just sort of like this weird communication of like a desperate craving of a child for their, like their parent happens in like, it happens in Adventure Time. It happens in Steven Universe and it happens here.
0: Yeah. And that's like a real thing. Like as a child, like Even if you have a parent who's like completely present and like loving and supportive, like the desperation to like feel that, like to feel that presence and to feel that love and support is so strong, especially when you're like a kid. And it doesn't. And if and if your parents didn't provide that to you, like it doesn't go it doesn't go away just because your parent like sucked and it affects you as an adult.
1: Yeah, we we in the biz talk about that in terms of things like attachment style, but I won't get into it because <laughs> um, i've I've gone through that spiel before, I believe. Um,
0: yeah uh, so oh, I- like speaking of like the politics and psychology of this show though, like it does have pretty good politics. like it has like like I can't remember like I can't remember any of my examples off the top of my head because like it's been a couple of weeks since I finished it. but there were multiple times where I noted during the show like, Explicit sort of anti-capitalist messaging in the show
1: Yes So and I think that very much fits It it sort of It appears to take an apolitical stance to that In that it's viewed sort of like from an early 20s Disaffected Like position But it Mm -hmm. still like has the effect of being anti-capitalist
0: Yeah for sure like It definitely uh show like has the attitude that like um work sucks and bosses are the worst which is true (laughs)
1: um in addition i think i think like the way that they write relationships is pretty realistic albeit a little bit exaggerated because of the world that they live in
0: yeah for sure so i think
1: Hmm. I mean, would I want a child watching the show? Yes. Would I want to kind of know what they think about it? Also yes. Um Yeah,
0: like I think would I want a 7-year-old watching the show? There's quite a bit of
1: violence.
0: Yeah, I'm like I'm not sure I would I'm not sure I would tell a 7-year-old that they weren't allowed to watch it. But I definitely wouldn't want them watching it, like, unsupervised. You know, would I want a 10-year-old watching this show? Yeah, sure. No problem with that.
1: Yeah, I think think that ultimately there's, like, a way more good than, like, any bad that you could possibly find.
0: Well, and, like, all the adult stuff is just, like, most of it is that same kind of stuff that goes over kids' heads. Like, how they, like... Drink soda out of paper bags, and there are always like a bunch of like crumpled cans around them that like very conspicuously say soda on the side. Yeah, the
1: amount of like really not implied drinking that goes on is a lot.
0: Like, yeah, or like a lot of times when they're eating a bunch of wings, it's also like analogous to drinking.
1: And and like why are Muscle Man's eyes red all the time? Like,
0: I didn't even notice that.
1: They are, all the time. Oh, man. They yeah, well, or- Red eyes show up on all of them except for, like, the older people. So, like, Mordecai Rigby and Muscle Man, they all have red eyes sometimes.
0: I never paid that close of attention to it. I only noticed them having red eyes when they were, like, where, were, like, the, like something in the plot meant that they were, like, tired. I didn't notice it at other times.
1: Because um, there are times where Mordecai and Rigby are, like, they're squinting a little bit, and they're like, huh, 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 huh.
0: Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> You're just like, they're
1: definitely high right now.
0: Yeah, But a kid wouldn't like know they, that. Like,
1: a kid wouldn't know that.
0: Yeah, or like when they eat all of the like spicy food that one time at that party that Benson went to, <laughs> and they all trip balls.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I fucking love... Okay, like I said, it takes like trends and lampoons the shit out of it. That is an episode that lampoons dudes who are like, "Yeah, I love hot things. I'm gonna drink ghost pepper salsa and wash it down with a habanero sauce, just
0: like." I fucking how, hate those guys. How many
1: Scovilles can we go? Um, <laughs> they they totally lampoon that whole thing, and I fucking am there for it, hands down.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: I think I think it will treat. I think it's like a good. I think it's sort of like a good thing for kids to watch to learn about satire
0: oh yeah definitely though okay I will say one thing one thing that they do that is like somewhat inappropriate that I do think kids will get is when they talk about lady pecs (laughs) like a lot of kids will probably already know what a peck is or if they don't they'll they can ask like their parents what's pecs and as soon as they find out it's chest muscles it's completely obvious that lady pecs are like tits (laughs)
1: Um, I think that it it somehow manages to be incredibly immature and very mature at the same time
0: Yeah like a lot of the humor is is, you know like really immature slapsticky kind of stuff But the storytelling is like mature and gives its audience a lot more credit than a lot of like other children's cartoons do
1: uh, Quintel is supposedly putting out a new show on HBO I believe yes um, so I I'm I'm almost willing to bet that that blend of mature and maturity is like a hallmark of his in particular I can't say that for sure because as the series went on he did less work on it um, so I don't know how much of that eventually became other people's rather than his but uh, that like seeing a show meant for adults might also tell us that if he's like he is the immature mature person though i guess like people like pendleton ward kind of are the same
0: yeah yeah i think like the show's supposed to premiere on july 9th so we've got about a month to go before it's supposed to come out, and I'm definitely planning on watching it. Like, it's gonna be an HBO show, so I'm gonna have to use like my aunt and uncle's HBO Go to watch it. But um, I, I'm excited to see like what it is and if it holds up. He's you know?
1: so young. That he theoretically yeah. has, like, an entire career ahead of him.
0: He has so many shows left in him. Like, he already created, like, a be- like a truly beloved show and, like, a really, really excellent one at 27 years old. Like, he created it at fuck 27 him. and was finished <laughs> with it by 35.
1: Oh, fuck him. Yeah. I want to be that.
0: Like, I'm 27 right now, and I'm like, what the fuck? Fuck.
1: <laughs> it um, was
0: unfair. Like he was creative director of Flapjack when he was in school. Like he's like, like he's an incredibly talented person who has so much career left ahead of him. And I'm really interested to see what he continues to do. Um
1: yeah, so I this you really you really start to feel like in the cartoon world it's like 2010. Something's coming. Something's up. Like new things on Cartoon like Cartoon Network feels fresh again for the first time in forever Mm -hmm. and it's great it's a great feeling because it is followed promptly by Adventure Time and it's great so um, I don't have too much to say other than it is truly a show best watched for any reason at all
0: yeah Basically,
1: those of you Um, who are in a legal state (laughs) or whatever, (laughs) I'm not a cop. Um, It is it is it is very fun to watch while intoxicated. And and I don't know if that's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I mean, like it is that and I also watched a lot of it like while I was working and it's equally fun to watch when like completely sober and, you know doing work at your living room table. <laughs> you know, it's just like there's like so much stuff in it that like we didn't even like go into like very many of the like jokes or like, you know, the catchphrases and the callbacks and the ongoing humor um because we wanted to talk about like its place in the renaissance and sort of its um like character development and things like that, but it's so funny. It's so fucking funny and the writing is so tight and so clever.
1: Oh, gonna get the ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to know where the fuck he came up with this stuff.
0: I know, right? Because it's so simple, but it's so funny.
1: Um, I give this show ten out of ten Eileen's.
0: That's now our rating scale because Eileen's the best. 10 out of 10 Eileen. <laughs> 10
1: out of 10 Eileen's would watch again in any yeah. state of mind.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like def like and uh, it's it's great throughout. Even even in the final season where they go to space, it's still really fucking good. Like I was like this is going to be lame now. They went to space. What the fuck? This is jumping the shark? No. It wasn't. It was great.
1: <laughs> yeah. It very much felt like well, just as a side note, they kind of did the Archer thing where they were going for a long time. And then all of a sudden there was like a jarring shift in premise. And you're just like, I don't think this is going to be as funny. And it's like just as or more funny. And you're thankful for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, But that that's really all I have to say. Please feel free to submit questions or comments to us. We would love to hear from people. You know, it's been uh, it's been a it's been a week. So feel please feel free to engage us in discussion on our wonderful pastime. Uh, yeah, we'd in addition, love to hear from you. In addition, we do have something coming up for our 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 Patreon subscribers, those <laughs> who help us support this wonderful programming. And what are we doing for that page?
0: Uh, we're going to be doing the film, uh, the feature film, *Prince of Egypt*, uh, and we're—I think—we're going to be joined by some guests on this one.
1: Yes, we're going to watch a very different piece of media compared <laughs> to compared to this, but no less good.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and then. We are going to be uh, our next um, main feed episode for everyone else. We'll be continuing our journey through the uh, 20 teens uh, animation renaissance with uh, everyone's favorite adventure time.
1: That is going to be a multi episode project, right there, similar to uh, at least similar to how we did Avatar because there's too much Adventure Time. There's too yeah, much. Yeah, there's just it's a lot. So, it's so good, and there's a lot of it.
0: And I'm sure that, like, probably, you know, pretty, probably all 40 of you who listen to this show were, like, when you first heard about this show or you first listened to it, you were like, oh, so they're going to, like, talk about Adventure Time. definitely, Definitely. And we've been doing it for, like, two and a half years, and we still haven't talked about Adventure Time. Well, like, we appreciate your patience. We have gotten there, finally. We are ready to talk about Adventure Time.
1: And that you know that's all folks
0: yeah um
1: Warner Brothers please don't sue <laughs> uh,
0: so if you want to reach out to us like Chris suggested you can reach us on uh, both Twitter and Facebook on Twitter we're at Animates and on Facebook we're Animates Podcast you can also shoot us an email uh, at Animates at com. the numeral 8 is in there instead of the letters A-T um, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It makes the algorithm do its magic so other people can find the show, which is our fondest hope and desire. And once again, as always, thank you so much for listening. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. And this has been Animates.